This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. Listen, if we want to play good hockey down the stretch, we got to figure it out now because uh, it's not going to be fun during the first round of playoffs, I'll tell you that. Listen, it's playoff hockey down the stretch and we get a good game and stretch and uh, we can't give up four breakaways. We just got to make sure that we, uh, you know, the highs are going to be better than the lows and, you know, it's going to be up and down in the game. But I think we showed in the third period what kind of team we are. You know, we're a resilient team down two goals and, you know, came back and got a point. It's the lightning of yesteryear coming out and everybody wants to get their points and it's all about playing offense and it's not about playing the other way. And then you start learning hard lessons like this. All right. Well, yeah, I would probably agree with Pat Maroon and Victor Hedman and John Cooper, who had some strong words there at the end of the game last night. Of course, the Lightning lose in overtime to the Buffalo Sabres. We're going to talk about it for the next hour, and then we'll get you set for the weekend because it's going to be busy. Back-to-back games. Of course, you can listen to all of that action right here on Lightning Radio. I am Greg Linelli. Dave Mishkin is with me, of course, my partner in crime, the radio voice of the Lightning, Steve Ersnick's our producer. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. And, you know, it's interesting, partner, when the Lightning have a game like this, especially over the last three years, where the standard is such, the expectations are, are very high. I almost wonder if you are a coach of a team who's accomplished as much as the Lightning have. If you can be a little more loose with how you describe their play in a poor performance. And John Cooper, I think, has the respect of that locker room. I don't need to make the case for something like that. But, you know, you could tell he was annoyed, disappointed. I don't know if angry would be an adjective I'd throw out. But he certainly... Uh, let it be known that uh, the Lightning last night looked like the Lightning maybe before their cup runs over the last three years, and he described it, I thought, pretty accurately. But I always wonder if you can be a little bit more open, knowing that you're not completely concerned about this team. You know they're going to make the playoffs, but sometimes you can just let loose when they have a poor performance, and uh, maybe maybe he did that last night in the postgame. The Lightning displayed habits he didn't like, and that's why he said it was the Lightning of yesteryear. They sacrificed defense for offense. They had way too much risk in their game, and those were two of the components that John Cooper took great pains to have them correct after they got swept by Columbus in 2019, and they did correct those tendencies. They took some of the risk out of their game. They didn't sacrifice defense for offense. It happened last night. So let me start with the Sabres. The Sabres lived up to billing. They generated a lot of chances and they gave up a lot of chances. And that's how they've been playing this year. They score a lot. They give up a lot. And they're right in the mix to get into the playoffs. If they get into the playoffs, and this was your point on the show yesterday, Greg, will they be able to have success playing this way? That remains to be seen. But what I learned since we went off the air yesterday, kind of chatting with some of the Buffalo people, which I didn't get a chance to do yesterday morning before we started the show, it's not that Don Granado is trying to get them to play defense and they're just not doing it. I think he made a a choice as a coach to allow his young, high-skill players to play. 
So when when we had this discussion yesterday, Greg, and this is really fascinating to me because I think that we both kind of felt that game breakers are game breakers and that's less coaching and more talent, whereas playing good defense is coaching. But allowing your game breakers maybe to be game breakers is also coaching, right? Like he's basically setting them up for success to score a lot. And maybe at the same time, either that opens them up to some chances against, or that's just his priority. He's got a young team and this was step one and maybe step two, maybe it's later this year, maybe it's next year. He he's going to have them work on defending better. I don't know why you can't do both at the same time. I think that there, there's a give and take there. But this was the choice that he made as a head coach. So it wasn't just like, well, I got Tage Thompson, I got Jeff Skinner, and I got Alex Tuck, and I got Dylan Cousins, and I got Darlene, and that's just the way it's unfolding that they're having a lot of success. He is having them play a style that allows them to use their skill. So that is coaching. And what did we see last night? When the Sabres, particularly when Thompson's line was out on the ice, when the Sabres got the puck or took the puck away in their own zone, certainly Thompson, and sometimes Thompson and another guy, Skinner, flew the zone. They were off. And Brian Engblom described it on the last call as almost like a football post pattern. And they were open last night for some counters where Thompson scored a hat trick and all three were on odd man rushes. One was on a three-on-one during a power play and the other two were breakaways. So that's a choice that they are making about how they are going to attack the other team, basically isolating their high skill players. So I think what John Cooper was upset about, and we can get back to the Sabres a little bit, but I think what Cooper was upset about was the Lightning kind of allowed Buffalo to do what it wanted to do in that regard. Buffalo set the terms of how the game was going to be played, and the Lightning agreed, essentially. And Coop didn't want them to agree. He doesn't want to give up breakaways. He doesn't want to trade chances. And that's not the 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 formula for success that the Lightning have had, and I'll say in the playoffs, the last three years. So I think that's why he was upset. We played the three clips at the start of the show, Greg. I love the Maroon quote. I thought that was a fantastic quote because he basically said, we play like that in the first round of the playoffs, essentially. We're going to be done. And I think that it hit home after last night's game to the Lightning that they can't play this way. Now, some of it is the opponent. The opponent, like if they play, well, let's use the Islanders as an example. They're going to play the Islanders twice down the stretch. The Islanders play a much different type of game. Like they lock it down more. They don't send their guys flying the defensive zone because you know what? When Tage Thompson is like 25 feet behind the lightning defense and the puck doesn't reach him, he's out of position, right? So you make decisions about how you want to play, how much risk do you want to have in your game? And the lightning aren't going to be seeing guys flying the zone like that when they play some other teams. Let's use the Islanders as an example that you know the Islanders play a very structured defensive oriented style. It's going to be a different type of opponent, but whether they're playing the Islanders or the Sabres, the Lightning don't want to be giving up breakaways and two-on-ones. And Vasilevsky wasn't able to help them last night. I mean, it's kind of hard to blame him 
on a lot of these goals because, you know, Thompson's got breakaways. He's a high-skill player. He converted. It happens. But the Lightning don't want to be putting Vasilevsky in that position. So this is their third overtime-slash-shootout loss going back to the San Jose game, second game after the All-Star break. I felt in the San Jose game, the Lightning outplayed the Sharks and happened to lose in overtime. They had problems in specific areas. That's why they didn't win the game. Connor Ingram stole the game essentially in Arizona, the 0-0 game in Arizona won in a shootout. Last night's game was was not a game the Lightning dominated. <laughs> like Lightning didn't really outplay the Sabres for for it was more of an even game. But you know what, Greg? I kind of I kind of like the way the game went last night and and I'm going to tell you why. First of all, the Lightning got a point. They were down three times by two goals. So they showed pushback. and They battled back in the game. They earned a point. But I like the fact that they got this splash of water in their face. And I also like the fact that teams are playing a week from tomorrow. Because the Lightning kind of get a do-over here. And let's see how many odd man rushes they allow when they get another crack at the Sabres. Maybe it's a similar type of game. But I think this got their attention. And I'm really curious to see if they are able to make some adjustments when the teams meet next Saturday afternoon in Buffalo. So because they lost the game especially, I think it did get their attention. And let's see how they do when they get another crack at this team in eight days. Yeah, you know, the antenna probably was raised. I think we also felt, too, that the game got chippy. There were some calls that weren't... Yes, we can get into that as well. They let their emotions get the better of them at points in the second period, too. I was a little surprised by that, but then again, it's the regular season. Do I think that's going to happen in the postseason? It's an educated guess. My take is no. But certainly, I think Buffalo found a little bit of a formula in that game where maybe they reacted and then the Lightning reacted to that reaction. And maybe more times than not, either the Lightning were called for a penalty or maybe it threw them off their game a little bit. Maybe they were chasing a bit more. I think if you took a if you took a look at that game last night, I think you could say that the, the Sabres definitely got under the Lightning's skin. And maybe yeah. the Lightning, a veteran group, didn't handle it as well as you would have anticipated. The other thing, too, I will say, what does it say for those of... For those of us who maybe felt like Vassy was off his game that I think you have to go back, take a step away from the emotion of what happened last night and say, how many goals were scored on breakaways? Yeah. That's the standard for Vassy. It's that maybe on more than a couple of occasions during a game, if there's a breakaway attempt, Dave, he's probably stopping all of them. And in last night's game against the Sabres, he did not. He did not. And I think a lot of people came away from that game saying Vassy was off. Perhaps you are right in the totality of that game, but it speaks to the standards of how high they are with that guy that even on breakaways where, let's face it, I think the advantage is mostly with the shooter that we're looking at that performance and probably saying, yeah, he was a bit off. Well, Phil felt the Quinn goal was the one that was on Vassy. And even that was off the rush where Quinn is open in the slot. Well, like he had a good five, look, right, but, but it went through his pads. Right. That was the one goal, and I would agree with Phil. That was the one goal that's probably more on Vasilevsky than than the other five. It's an ugly stat line for Vasi. Six goals allowed on 23 shots. But to your point, 
you know, outside of the Quinn goal, which is one that Vassy probably stops more often than not. You know, the other goals, the one was a crazy deflection off Giergensen's skate, which yeah, is a tough to play. On that yeah, one, right? that's I mean, not that's up. not on him. And the other were were breakaways, basically, or the one was a three on one. Vassy sometimes makes the save though on he the does. breakaway. And he sometimes didn't he do it last night. And and that's not his fault, but he is good enough to be able to make those saves sometimes. He didn't last night. So the Sabres were really efficient at converting their odd man rush opportunities when they had a shot on net. Now, Coop said they scored. Too, though. That's right, Thompson. Thing. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, you're talking about maybe. And Labushkin. That was a good shot. Yeah, it was a good shot. Vassy might have been cheating a little bit maybe. to the one side. Um, but Coop said they scored in every single one of them. They scored in every single one of them that had a shot, but there were a couple of odd man rushes they had in the third period. The Lightning were able to break those up. I remember one, Hedman made a great play with his stick. So the Lightning were giving up rush chances, but the Sabres are a team that will put pressure on you because they look to get those odd man rush chances. That was kind of the point I was trying to make a few minutes ago, sure. that the opponent matters here. No, it does. And, and that's why I'm saying a week from tomorrow, like you said, they're going to have their antenna up. Let's see about the adjustments the Lightning make when let's say they have the puck in the offensive zone, it gets turned over. I'm not talking like an egregious turnover, but sometimes the other team gets it, right? How are they going to react? Are they going to close off those stretch passes more efficiently than they did last night? The Lightning are a team, like if if they were to play the Sabres in a playoff series, let's say, which they're not. I mean, I don't see any way that they're going to see each other, at least in the first round. The Lightning are on a collision course with Toronto. If Buffalo gets in, they're going to be a wild card and face either the Bruins or the first place team in the Metro in all likelihood Carolina. But if these two teams were in a playoff series and the Sabres had a lot of success playing this way in game one, then you would expect the Lightning would try and make an adjustment in game two, right? <laughs> to, to try and take some of this away best you can. Usually in the regular season, you don't have an opportunity to do that because you're not seeing the team for quite some time. The Lightning last played the Sabres, when was it? In what, early December, late November? Like they hadn't seen the team in a while. Now they get to see them again very quickly. Let's see how they adjust and and try and limit chances. They may not win the game next weekend, but I want to see how they kind of absorb what the Sabres threw at them and had success doing against them. Let's see if they can they can be better in that regard. Well, here's the other thing, too. Yes, maybe there's something structurally they'll do differently, Dave. I think more of it is understanding where you are on the ice. Yeah. Case in point, second period, power play goal for the Sabres, Tage Thompson. Makes it two one. What happened before that? Yeah, Hagel didn't Hagel. get it deep. Well, the yeah. lightning, the lightning had some numbers. He pulls up on along the right boards, and once he did that, you need to get that puck down low because you don't have the support up top to make any type of pass. And I think it was Darlene who made a great play, yes. knocking him down. And Darlene, let's face it, was a target last night for the lightning. He was. I don't know exactly. What happened throughout the game? We saw bits and pieces of some confrontations. Started with Sorelli in the Sorelli second period. Sorelli was going yeah. after him for sure. But Darlene knocks Hagel to the ice. Hagel's not strong on the puck. 
and he didn't recognize the situation to keep the puck down low. Because Cole joined the rush. Because Cole So it became so a three on two. Yeah. Too. So yeah. I think you have to understand time and place. And look, Hagel's been great all year. We're just we're picking on a specific play that typically we don't see the lightning make. They did. And Dave, I think to your point, when you go against a team like the Sabres, who has a lot of talent, they can make you pay for that mistake. And we saw that last night. But that I thought, look, there were a lot of turning points. I thought that was one of them because it's 1-1. The Lightning are killing a penalty, and the Sabres go the other way after a really good play by Darlene. Thompson finishes it. He makes the hat trick. I also thought late in the game when you know the Lightning had uh, an opportunity potentially to win it, you know, we talked about 11 total goals that were given up by the goaltenders. And it's maybe a little unusual to highlight a sequence where a goaltender came up big. But Comrie around the 220 mark, Dave, of the third period, mm-hmm. made three outstanding saves. Yeah, right off the faceoff. Right? Hagel yeah. had a great whack at it. And then it was, I think it was Point and Kucherov. Right. Who also had some cracks. And he was very good in overtime, too. And Stamkos hit the post in overtime. He did. He did. And... You know, his first goal was a thing of beauty for sure. Yeah. But that was an instance where a goaltender in his particular situation made a save two or three that allowed his team, Dave, to not only get one point, but eventually get two in overtime. Yeah. I mean, look, once the fifth goal got past Comrie, he shut the door the rest of the way, which was a big reason why the Sabres got out of the game with two points. You know, they could have lost the game in regulation, actually. Correct. The Lightning's best period was the third period. The the last Thompson goal, which came in the third period and on a breakaway, was was a weird play because Sergeyev gloved the puck down, but basically gloved it right to Thompson and then collided with Kucherov, which opened the lane for Thompson. He had a great finish there. But much of the third period, the Lightning were, were kind of on the attack, and the Sabres were quieter in the third period. Now, they had a lead, Maybe they were trying to trying to lock it down. They weren't able to do it. And, you know, Hedman, that was the Hedman quote. He said, you know, we played our game in the third period, which I don't disagree with. They did. And they could have scored more than three in the third period, particularly once they made it 5-5. They had chances to actually take the lead before regulation ended. So credit Comrie, you know, to, to make some timely saves. Let's get into the the penalties, and then we can kind of so let's touch I, I, on. We are going to hit penalty, but this question oh, hits, okay, on, hits on the officiating, and we can get into it real quick here. Al says, "I'm tired of people blaming officials for last night's loss. Tampa Bay was on the power play; they should have finished it off instead, looking for the highlight goal. Ninety-one should not have gotten that close to the defender. He had two guys low, put the puck on net. Frustrated. So he's talking about what happened yes. late in overtime." Well, and, and so Labushkin hooked him. Now, did he fall down only because of the hook? Did the officials feel that he went down a little easily? I don't know. We're not going to get a press conference with the on-ice officials after the game. That doesn't happen. But a couple of things. First of all, they let one go when Chernak elbowed Oposo late the third. And you can say, all right, well, it evened out. And that's true, because had they called the penalty on Chernak, the Sabres would have been on the power play with over a minute to go in regulation. Maybe they score and they win the game in regulation, but at the very least, that delay of game penalty 
puck over the glass out of play on Yoki Haru doesn't happen. So the reason the Lightning are on the power play late third into overtime is essentially because they let one go that they probably should have called on Chernak. The other thing is that even if the Chernak play hadn't happened, officials are really hesitant to give one team a five-on-three in overtime. That would have been a short five-on-three. The penalty on Yoki Haru was almost up. But it would have been a five-on-three into another power play for the Lightning. And I think that was also a factor. The problem was that that takedown led to a chance coming back the other way, and Labushkin finished it. But it was not a great night for the officials. I think they wanted to let the teams play, and you could see that you know things were getting heated, and maybe they could have tamped that down a little bit if they'd called a few more penalties. They only called five total penalties. And those were all leading to power play. So there were no like matching penalty situations or anything like that, which sometimes officials will do to get control of the game. They also let beyond the the Chernak play and the Labushkin play, they let a lot go in the game. I think that added to the frustration, frankly, for both teams. But Brian Engblom was between the benches. I'm going to say this because he is right in the middle of things. The Sabres were unhappy with the non-call on Chernak, but apparently they were also very unhappy, very unhappy with the too many men on the ice penalty that led to the Colton power play goal. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. That was a penalty that had to be called. Well, what are they upset about? Because I don't know. Had, the guy got in the well, way, their got guy, right in the way of Kucherov, right? Yeah, their guy was going to the bench, was, I guess, close to the bench. But the fact is, if you jump over the boards and immediately get involved in the play before the guy that you're changing for is off the ice, that is going to get called. Maybe not every time, but the vast majority of the time, that is going to get called. And I don't even know who the player was who jumped over the boards, but it had that player jumped over the boards and basically let Kucherov go past him. Maybe they wouldn't have called the penalty. But he got right in on Kucherov and disrupted the play and at the time, they had six players on the ice. That gave Buffalo an advantage. Him jumping on early gave Buffalo an advantage. And unlike the Kadri play in the Stanley Cup final last year, where he jumped on early and gave Colorado an advantage, the advantage wasn't immediately clear until well after he had jumped on the ice early. This time, the guy jumps over the boards, and he's right involved in the play. That's an automatic. So I don't really understand why the Sabres were upset about that call, but they were, and it led to the tying power play goal for Colton. Be that as it may, that was one they got right, but they definitely missed some other calls. But the misses went both ways. So, I mean, I'm not completely on board with what Al is saying about, I mean, Stamkos is doing his best, right? Like, if he's not hooked there, he probably doesn't lose the puck. He's not expecting that he's going to get hooked. He's not expecting that he's going to get hooked and there's going to be no penalty called. But I will agree with Al that the officials are not the reason that the Sabres won and the Lightning lost. I'm I'm completely on board with that. Yeah, and look, I, I don't we don't really harp on the officiating. I, I've kind of given my hard take on it. I, I think you have done a, a better job probably giving them more credit. I just I go into the game with very low expectations, and I almost can ask the question, what's more frustrating, the officiating or the people that, who control the stats? 
Oh, please don't start on that again. Listen, I think both are very inconsistent. I'm not sure why. I maybe give the This is recent with the shots. I feel like since the pandemic partner, it's been bad. But it's not it's it's not only one arena, it's in a bunch of arenas. The well, last the, the last night change, last night's change was completely confounding to me. Because in the first period the Sabres were given three shots. And then again, the change was made right before the start of the second period, and it went to two shots. And I'm like, did it take you 18 minutes or however long the intermission is to look at those three shots on net and determine one of them was actually not a shot on net? Really? Like, okay, if there's 17 shots in the period and it gets switched to 16, I'm not thrilled about it, but like, that's a little bit more understandable if you're going back and checking. But three to two? Shouldn't that change have been made like before the period ended? The first period ended? Anyway, that was frustrating from from the standpoint that we're trying to we're trying to keep up with kind of the way the game is going. And if the stats change, goals getting announced, that's different. I mean, like, I understand that. And we felt the headman goal that was originally unassisted was gonna get two assists added, and it did get two assists added, which was the right call. That I understand. I mean, I, I think that they probably could get it earlier, but at the end of the day, you kind of have a sense of, yeah, this is probably going to have some assists added. The shots, we have no idea. And, you know, they they let another one basically get changed or they missed it the first time and then they decided to change it, but they didn't change it right away. The officiating, that was one where both teams, I think, were not thrilled but if both teams were not thrilled, that means that stuff was missed on both sides. The Chernak play is interesting because, like, he did get him in the head or in the face. And there is an element where the officials can look at plays with hits to the head or an elbow and, and make a determination about the severity of a penalty. But if they missed it completely, I guess they can't review it, right? I mean, because it's not like they went back and, and looked at it after the, the whistle happened. So, look, I think you're right. I tend to be a little bit more sympathetic to the job the officials have to do. They had a, The crew had a tough night last night. They did. But it wasn't a one-sided tough night. It was, it was both ways. You know, again, it, it always goes back to the point I try to make when it comes to the officiating is that – if you just call a penalty, regardless of time and where we are in a game, I think you can alleviate a lot of the hostility that goes towards officials. We know it's a hard job. I wouldn't want to be a referee. Would you? I mean, it's just incredibly incredibly difficult because of how fast the game is. I acknowledge that. Plus, you're not going to please everybody. But my point is, when you don't call a penalty, and your reason is we don't want to affect the outcome of the game, you inevitably affect the outcome of the game. Yeah. And I don't care if somebody gets a five on three in overtime because you perceive that to be a, a big time advantage for the team that's going on the power play. You know what? Too bad. Too bad. Don't commit the penalty. Well, the Labushkin one, 
was either they saw it and decided not to call it based on the circumstances, or they saw it and they felt that Stamp Ghost went down too easily. I don't know the answer it's to probably it. probably both. It right. might have been a little bit of both. The Chernak one, it's very possible they thought it was a it was a good hit. Like seeing it live, it wasn't clear that he got him in the face. But you know, Oposo, I think, was cut. You and and that. after the fact, yeah, it would like when you see the replay, he definitely got him. But that was one I'm not sure if it was like the time and the score or if it was just a fast play and they missed it, which listen, happens sometimes. Listen, here's the deal. How many how many players were on the ice in overtime when Stamkos went down? Yeah, it was a four on three. So you should see plus the two goalies going on. Plus, you have three other guys who can make a call if you missed it. Right. Like, the, the linesman, in my in my opinion, the linesman should have more authority to call penalties. If you if your if your take is the game is too fast for mm-hmm. two officials. Give the linesman a little bit more. I think that would help. But again, if the if you're saying the game's too fast, we can't see anything. But in overtime, you have a lot more visibility to see what's going on. Right. That one they saw. That one they saw and they made a determination not to call it. They may have seen the Chernak one and made a determination not to call it, but they may have that happened at, at game speed. It was a hit. It was hard to know. At least for me, it was hard to know if he got him in the face when it happened. Phil immediately said it, though. So Phil did did acknowledge that they missed the call there. Be that as it may. I have one more thing to say about the Sabres, and then we can take some questions, or if you have more comments, we can look ahead to this weekend. So the three stars, Phil's three stars, were Tage Thompson, Braden Point, and Victor Hedman, who had a goal and assist. In the building, the three stars were Tage Thompson, Braden Point, and Rasmus Dahlin. For me, if I were picking the stars, I would have made Dahlin the first star. Now, Dahlin did not play in the first meeting between the teams at Amelie. He played in the second game, and of course he played last night. We touched on him on the show yesterday, talking about like he came in as an 18-year-old, number one overall pick, really tough position, defense, to, to jump right in as a young guy. He was playing on a team that lost a lot more than it won. He had some struggles early in his career. This by far, and again, I'm not seeing him play every night, Greg. By far, this was the best game I've ever seen Rasmus Dahlin play. He was everything. He was dangerous in the offensive zone. He got under the skin of the lightning, as you talked about. He was a force defensively. You mentioned the play he made on Hagel. He was doing that all night long. He was closing on lightning players and knocking them off the puck and taking it away. He was outstanding in that game. And we mentioned, you know, on a team that has struggled defensively, he came into the game last night plus 21. What was he last night? Plus one. So now he's plus 22. He was phenomenal. I know Tage Thompson had the hat trick, and he was really good too. I would have made Darlene the first star. And I am in agreement with Braden Point as a star. Especially in the third period, I think he was the best player on the ice. He was so dynamic. How about that goal he scored? Where it was almost like, so Hagel Hagel gets the puck in the lightning end and gives it to Hedman. Hedman starts skating up the ice. And he's kind of a, a head of the play for the lightning. The Sabres are, are getting back defensively. But there is one guy 
in the neutral zone who is back for the Sabres, Hedman is coming at him. Point is kind of neck and neck with two other Sabres, and it was almost like he found a turbo gear, and he just left them in the dust. And up until that point, he hadn't had a lot of ice to work with, but he saw the ice there, and oh man, did he explode with his speed. And then a great finish. I mean, Thompson had some nice finishes as well. Let's not discount that finish point had with the backhand through the pads. So I, that point was outstanding. The other thing about last night's game that, that I'll close with was the Lightning did so many things that usually cost you a game. Like they gave up breakaways, right? Odd man rushes. But they also allowed twice a goal shortly after they themselves scored. And it was when they made a 3-1 game, 3-2. They gave up a goal just over a minute later. And then after they made a 4-2 game, 4-3, they gave up another goal 30 seconds later. Those are killer goals. Very difficult to come back from. The fact that they did, I think, is is a compliment to the Lightning. But those are like cardinal sin no-nos. So... There were, a, there were a lot of things that didn't go to the Lightning's liking last night, and I will, again, repeat what I said at the start of the show. I'm really curious to see how they come back in this rematch a week from tomorrow. And then we can get into the this weekend, but if you have other comments to make or we have fan questions about last night's game, we can get to those first. Well, let me let me just say this about Braden Point, just an observation. You know how like we feel about him on a big picture level I think he's their most complete forward we know how dynamic he is but it probably speaks to just the stigma or perception when it comes to him as a player you know we talked about him as a goal scorer Dave remember yesterday that conversation Mm -hmm. or maybe it was a couple of days ago just about natural goal scorer what does it mean dynamic however we we phrase it 201 goals now (laughs) yes so Tage Thompson has how many goals 39 39. now okay so Mm -hmm. he has 39 and I think most people, I mean, we listened to Phil yesterday. He think, Phil thinks he could hit 60 in his career at some point. Yeah. So, Tage Thompson, would you say is considered a dynamic player in this league? Hey, it's fair to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. I said that yesterday. And not that you're saying Braden Point's not, and I'm not either. But Braden Point's got 34 goals, Dave. It's only five off of Tage Thompson, yeah. who many would consider to be... All right, let's call him an elite goal scorer at this point. I think it just speaks to how underrated Braden Point is. That's just another small example. It's only five goals off of somebody who Phil Esposito said can hit 60 one year. That's how good Braden Point is as a player. I think you, the league acknowledges, though, that Braden Point is a top-flight player in the league, a dynamic player, whatever you want to call it. He's also a money player. Like He plays his best hockey often – when the stakes are at their I'd highest, be curious, I'd be curious. Maybe this is this is poor on me. I'd be curious to say if you took a, if you took a poll of GMs, broadcasters. Let's throw players in there as well. Mm-hmm. Would Braden Point make the list of top ten offensive players in the game? And maybe the better question is, should he? Yeah. For everything, I'd like has? to see the other nine. I mean, you have to put McDavid on there, right? Is he any good? By the way, I think he scored his 900th career point against Pittsburgh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty crazy. But, I mean, you probably right off the bat would go McDavid. You'd probably put Dreisaitl right there, too, correct? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You probably would put somebody from the Lightning in addition to points. Kucherov. Right? I mean, if we're talking about offense, not just goal scoring. Yeah. I mean, so those are three guys right off the bat. I mean, okay, if you want to put Tage Thompson in that list, all right, that's fine. I'm sure I'm missing some people right off the bat, and that's fine. We it's kind of just off the cuff. I mean, just take a look at the Lightning's division. If there's anybody there, you know, Pasternak pretty much could be. Oh yeah, on that he would list be on there for sure. Of I course. Mean, I, I, you know, would you put Crosby in that list? You know, anymore? I think it's he's still having a good year. I, I, that that's probably up for debate. Um. So, oh, well, Toronto has a couple of guys, right? You could probably yeah. put on that list. Yeah, if you're just limiting it to ten. He might not make the list of like a conventional survey, but if there are 20 dynamic players, top flight dynamic players in the NHL at the forward position, he would be on that list. I mean, why wouldn't he be? Yeah, he should be on that list. He's he's almost well, he's not as I say, he's almost a point per game guy, but he's he's hovering around that. Yeah. Anyways, it's just something that I wanted to bring. Go ahead. Well, let's look ahead to this weekend. So the Lightning are seeing a bunch of teams. Last night's game started a stretch of six consecutive games against teams right in the mix at the playoff cut line in the East, either just above the cut line, just below the cut line. That 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 dynamic is shifting too. Like Detroit is now in the wild card spot, second wild card spot, because they beat the Rangers last night. Detroit is interesting. Detroit is way different than Buffalo in that the Red Wings, and this is more recent. The Red Wings are starting to figure it out defensively. Now, the Red Wings are one of these teams that is still in the bottom half of the league as far as goals allowed per game. We've harped on this a lot, Greg. Regular listeners to the show know that we look at this. How many of the top 16 teams that are ranked in the top 16 for team defense are currently in a playoff position? And usually it's the vast majority. Maybe not all 16, but but the vast majority, meaning that if you want to be in a playoff position, you should be defending better than at least half of the league, right? Whether the numbers are a little higher or lower relative to the rest of the league. Detroit has been in the bottom half for much of the year. But in their last, I think it's eight games. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, eight games. They've held the opposition to two goals or less in six of those. That's how they're doing it. The two games that they didn't hold the opposition to two or less, they wanted to shoot out in Edmonton. Edmonton can certainly score. And they lost in regulation to Seattle. That was at the end of a long road trip, 4-2. to two. I believe that game was 2-2 going into the third. And in fact, those are the only games the Red Wings have lost in the last eight. So they are 6-1-1. One, and one in their last eight, but they are doing it, at least in the Dave Mishkin metric, of a way that is going to build like sustainable success. If you hold the, and maybe I've just been listening to John Cooper too long, well, if you hold the other team two or less, you're going to give yourself a really good chance to win, and if not win, at least get points. And the Red Wings have done that. What is interesting is that this is an improvement over where they were earlier in the season and maybe it's Derek Lalonde is is like his message if this was his message from the get-go it took a while for the team to start playing the way he wanted them to play but if we look at that number right now goals against per game 
the Red Wings have climbed to 17th. So they are they are one spot away. Actually, if we look at it, they're tied with Seattle for 16th. So basically, they're right at the cut line for team defense. And that was not necessarily the case in the two earlier meetings between the Lightning and Red Wings. In one game, the Lightning scored a lot, but they gave up a lot. That was the game in Detroit. And the other game, the game in Amelie, if you remember, that was basically a steal for Billy Huso, where the Lightning had 30 shots in the third period. So I'm curious to see how this Detroit team looks defensively in terms of limiting chances for the other team. But they are charging. Like, there is no question that they, when we said Detroit is a team, a lot of people think are going to improve this year and maybe halfway through the year, I'm like, well, it doesn't look like they're taking as big of a step forward as everyone thought. Maybe they are. Maybe this last third of the season is going to be their strongest push. And as we look at the standings today, they are tied with the Panthers, but they're in the second wildcard spot because they played three fewer games. And they do have a number of games in hand on at least the Panthers and Islanders, two teams that are around them, and they're level, basically level in games played with Pittsburgh and Buffalo, who are behind, barely behind them, but just behind them. So I would say that maybe not quite as advantageous a position as Buffalo, but still a pretty advantageous position. Maybe they are in just as good of a spot as Buffalo. They have they've played one extra game over the Sabers. But if Detroit keeps Ding up, they're going to put themselves in a position to get into the playoffs. I believe that. And we can get into Pittsburgh, which is kind of a train wreck right now for the Sunday game. But that's what I'm seeing from Detroit, at least right now. And this has been recent. This has been in the last few weeks, kind of going back to early February, where their defensive play has been notably strong, whether they're at home or on the road. They just beat the Rangers, one of the hottest teams in the league. Yeah. Detroit actually poses, I think, a bigger threat at this point. Pittsburgh's a train wreck, as you mentioned. You're talking about this weekend. This weekend, I'm sorry. This weekend. Lighting have the scheduling disadvantage, though, against the Penguins. They do, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to talk about a team who's a train wreck defensively. Take a look at Pittsburgh. Uh, there has been talk that they are one of two teams in on Luke Shen. Look, I'm a, a big fan of Luke Shen, but Pittsburgh has a lot of problems. In fact, I think you could make a strong argument, Dave, that Pittsburgh should be sellers at the trade deadline and move on. You ask, well, who, Greg, would they give away? I think Brian Dumoulin is somebody that you would probably look to part ways with. I think if you really wanted to shake things up in that locker room and actually get younger and perhaps even get more value... Jake Gensel would be somebody mm-hmm. that probably could bring in a, a lot in addition to Jason Zucker, who I like a great deal. Pittsburgh is a team, Dave, that's just not hard to play against. And they don't have much of a bottom six at this point. Jeff Carter is struggling mightily. Kapanen is just a train wreck. And Brock McGinn, I don't think, has scored a point in about 24 games. You can check me on that, but it's been disastrous for Pittsburgh. That being said, they'll probably beat Tampa Bay 5-2. to two. And, you know, that's how that usually goes. But yeah, they, they're, they're going to be desperate. Tra- I mean, they are going to be. But what does desperate mean for a team that that should be playing desperate hockey over the last month? And uh, Mike Sullivan, you wonder if that's an instance partner. How much responsibility does a coach take for a team that continues to give up goals late in a period that gives up goals after they score a minute after? I like Mike Sullivan as a head coach. I think he's fantastic. 
but something is definitely not right with the Penguins. And the funny thing is, their top three, Malkin, Crosby, and Latang, actually are having pretty good years. Yeah. You know, for older guys, too. I wonder if some of this is is psychological. So, like, if you're a, a team that's used to winning and you win more than you lose and you, you lose a couple in a row, a lot of times you see the pushback, right? And then you kind of correct things. What happens when you have pushback, though, and things don't get corrected? Yeah. Like, they've had some games that they sh- probably should have won. Like, when they had a little bit of a skid, then they're up, hey, we're up 3-1, right? <laughs> but they still end up losing. I wonder how much that kind of depletes a team's swagger and confidence, and then it becomes harder to push back. It becomes harder to dig deep because you're not seeing the results from when you actually did dig deep and things start unraveling. I don't know. I mean, you watch them a lot more closely than I do, but I've noted in some of these games, like they've been dominating teams. They're actually up in the games and they end up losing anyway in regulation. I think there's a lack of mental toughness or just lack of of hockey IQ. And right, but some of that like that didn't just happen overnight. Or or let me rephrase. That's not part of their DNA. Like they didn't get to being in a playoff position for much of the season up until recently by having no hockey IQ or low hockey IQ. I think that this may be a function of how things are going and they are in a tailspin and they can't get out of it. They can't get out of it. And Washington is in the same boat. So if you remember, Greg, when there was more of a gap between the top eight and the rest of the pack, or at least like the Islanders were were ninth, right, for for much of the early part of the year. And we're like, what's going to happen here? Are any of these other teams, the Buffaloes, the Floridas, the Detroits, or even the Islanders, If they're going to make a push, they're going to need to get hot, but they're also going to need some help that some of the teams that are currently in a playoff position need to need to slump. And what has happened is Pittsburgh and Washington have slumped. They both, both of them, have only three wins in their last 10 games. The Penguins have lost four straight and the Capitals have lost six in a row in regulation. I wonder how much the Ovechkin news like his his dad passed away and we were obviously you know saddened for him and and his dad had a huge impact on his life I didn't really know this but reading some of the comments from Ovi when he returned like that was a huge blow to him and and his absence seemed to affect the team greatly they just traded Dmitry Orlov which I guess they felt they couldn't keep him but for a team like are they going to be selling like you just said Pittsburgh's going to be? I guess we're going to find out. They're still only two points out of a playoff spot, but they've lost six in a row in regulation. They just lost at home to Anaheim, a team that now has what? Eight regulation wins all year. Yeah. So, like, (laughs) things are really going wrong in Washington. Things are really going wrong in Pittsburgh. And what that has done is open the door for the Islanders, Red Wings, Panthers, and Sabres, and even the Senators, who are within a stone's throw. I mean, they're going to need more help. But they've actually put themselves in a position maybe to, to battle for a playoff spot. But it wouldn't have happened had Pittsburgh and Washington, both of them, not gotten into a major tailspin. Yeah. 
it's shocking, it's, really, to see them well, struggle this why, way. Remember, we've had this conversation. I always feel like we've we are kind of ahead of the curve yeah. a little bit when we talk about certain issues regarding the league in general, which I think is fun for our audience here. We've had discussions about teams that have had their chance, that have had a long run. Eventually, what happens when you no longer have it? And Detroit reminds, Detroit is the prime example. You know, they had their consecutive playoff streak going mm-hmm. for so long, partner. But they were basically one and done in the playoffs. They, for the last few years of yeah, that Yeah, they weren't yeah. built towards the end to make a deep run. They were good enough to get in, but because they sacrificed so much to get to the playoffs and make deeper runs earlier during their core's tenure, what did you have left? You know, you had an aging core who was still good enough to get in but not win at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where Pittsburgh and Washington are. I think you could have made the case Chicago was that a while ago, and then I think they decided to blow things up. And look, they're talking about trading Patrick Kane. Jonathan Taves has, looks like, long-term COVID. He's certainly struggling with his yeah. health. But I think you understand what I'm saying, is that I think we may be in this position. We don't know when it is. And this is why Buffalo and some of these other teams below the playoff line may have an opportunity to sneak in because is this the beginning of Pittsburgh and Washington not really becoming playoff teams anymore? And are they going to be in a, in a situation where it's more of rebuilding than retooling? It's hard to say when you have guys like Ovechkin on a roster because they don't want to hear that talk. Sure. Same thing with Crosby and Latang and Malkin. Dave, as you've mentioned before, these are proud individuals who have accomplished a lot. And this is where you kind of get into that situation. Okay, do you do you trade these guys to another team who's closer to winning, or do they finish their careers with one team? Uh, hard to believe you would even consider that with some of those players, and I don't think you would. But I think there has to come a realization with the organizations that they play for that you can't keep retooling and competing for a cup at the same time. Eventually that catches up with you, Dave, because you don't have any more assets to give away. Yeah. And I think we may be in this crisis point where Pittsburgh and Washington specifically don't know what to do. And it's easy to sit here and say, well, we're going to try and win it because we have these Hall of Famers on our roster. But what do you have surrounding them? I mean, would you would you say that Washington, in, in many ways, I don't want to say, Dave, they raised the white flag, but are, are they getting to that point with the trade they just made? We didn't even I don't, talk about the yeah, trade. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying no. I don't know. I don't know if the Orlov trade was predicated on the fact that they thought they were going to lose him because he's a UFA after this year. And Hathaway, too, right? Hathaway is also a UFA yes. after this year. So look, they got Craig Smith, who's been, you know, he's been a good player for Boston. He's been a good player in his career for Nashville, but they also got some picks, right? From the Bruins. They did. did. So like that is the kind of the mode of a seller where you're saying we're not going to be able to keep this this player. We can get value for him and let's trade him now. When maybe the price tag is going to be a little higher in terms of what we can get for him. And I don't know their cap situation well enough to understand if if Orlov is going to be due a raise. He's a very good player. The Bruins got a good player. 
in that deal, it might have been some of that or more of that than we're raising the white flag. I mean, I'd be surprised if they were raising the white flag because they are within striking distance of getting in the playoffs. I mean, it you try always, and get into the playoffs, right? Well, and you, you get and into I, the playoffs. Anything can happen, right? But anything can happen, right? Then I think as a GM, though, it's your responsibility to look at your roster and say, can you legitimately make a deep run? Fair I enough. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair, particularly in Pittsburgh case. The last four years, they haven't won a playoff round. Right. I think it's fair to at least question that. And I think with Washington, you could you could make the same case. And how much... How much does it mean to your organization to make it to the first round, get bounced in, let's say, four games, but have two games of gate revenue? Yeah. How big of a deal is that compared to, okay, do we do the right thing and probably rebuild by shipping off some of our key players to get younger? And maybe in a couple of years, we can compliment Ovechkin uh, during his last year or so in the league, maybe with a younger roster that actually has a legitimate chance to compete. And you could probably say the same thing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Because right now, the way their rosters are constructed, it's just too flawed. Well, what you're seeing, I mean, look, what you're seeing with Pittsburgh is a team that's really struggling, too. Yes. Earlier in the year, I mean, they had a long winning streak earlier in the year. They did. They did, but they also had losing streaks. Like, playoff teams, I don't think, go through losing streaks of seven or eight games in a regular season. I just don't. Well, I just don't think you do. As it relates to Sunday's game, this will be a circumstantial advantage for the Penguins, and I believe they don't play until Sunday. Can you correct me if I'm wrong about that? I can look it up. You may be right. I can. So they're coming off the 7-2 Hammer. thrashing to Edmonton. They're outside the playoffs, and they're going to have the Lightning coming in basically at 2 o'clock in the morning. The I mean, night it before. should be I Actually, no, they play Saturday afternoon. In St. Louis. So both teams are going to be playing the second half of a back-to-back. There you go. So there you go. So that levels it. I Erase what I just said, folks, from your memory. So not only do they play the day before, they also travel, although their game is in the afternoon, the Lightning's game is at night. So the Pittsburgh, Penguins will be getting back home at a reasonable hour. I also basically. think Pittsburgh might be the oldest team in the league. So you've got that going for the Lightning. And they are facing a, a Blues team, by the way, you're right about that. Like they, they are an older team, and they are playing the second half of a back to back. But this one is set up for them to to snap their losing streak because the Blues, the Blues have lost some of their push. Did you see the quote from Craig Berube? I, I saw something. He basically said, Twitter. "We have no compete basically on our team." The okay, move so of O'Reilly and Achari really seemed to affect the Blues. So two teams that aren't competing. <laughs> Something's got to give, right? Something does have to give. Oh, my goodness. That's I don't think the Blues game. have won a game since the O'Reilly trade. So Boy, they had a lead. They blew a lead to Vancouver. They lost in overtime. So they've lost one, two, three, four in a row since the trade. So oh, what three does that and tell one. You? What does that tell you? Did O'Reilly mean that much to the team, or is there a lack of leadership there where they, they can't get themselves righted? Yeah, I don't know. You know. Maybe the feeling is, well, we raised the white flag. And that seeps through. I don't know. Well, then play harder. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's where you can always play hard. Well, that's what their coach is expecting. Yeah, play hard. I'm looking at the Jeez. box score right now to get a better feel for what happened last night. I saw that Vancouver had a multi-goal comeback in the third period. Yeah, they did. 
So check this out, Greg. So the Blues, they scored a shorthanded goal in the first, and then they went up 2-0 in the second. They took a 2-0 lead into the third. The Blues scored, sorry, the Canucks scored to make it 2-1 with a JT Miller shorthanded goal. Then they tied it in the final minute with the extra attacker, and then they won in overtime. Yeah. And they got outshot, the Blues did, 41-22. to now yeah. we've said about Vancouver. Vancouver's got some really talented offensive players. Like, if they're going to have the puck, you could be in for a tough night. Yeah, and that's apparently what happened to the Blues. At home, they got outshot forty-one to twenty-two. So that's why Craig Ruby was irked. So we'll see which team kind of bounces back. Right, both teams are coming off bad losses: Pittsburgh and St. Louis. If the Penguins don't win on Saturday, I have no idea what we're going to see Sunday. I think if they win on Saturday, things will settle down for them a little bit, and and the Lightning should be in for for a tough game on Sunday. I would Listen, say. I think I think anytime you go against a team that has Sidney Crosby playing on it, in addition to Malkin, those guys have had a lot of success against Tampa Bay. They grab your attention. Yeah, you're right. But that only goes so far because the rest of the team just they're not at that level we've seen from Pittsburgh teams over the last four or five years also for the lighting what happens on Saturday may have an impact on how Sunday's game unfolds if they don't win on Saturday it'll be another two-game winless skid who would start against and the lightning really kind of buckle down when that happens we we addressed that the other day we did I think that yeah I mean I don't know for sure We'll, we'll obviously find out when the lightning skate tomorrow my sense would be Vasilevsky gets the Detroit game, but I don't know. They're going to split, though. I mean, both yeah. goalies are going to get a game. To. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the right way, right way to look at it. Elliot right. did play the game in Detroit earlier this year, but that was the second half of a back-to-back. Right. That's a good point. So. All right. Well, partner, you know what? We're working seven days a week. <laughs> we are. Wow, we're going to talk for a couple of weeks because we got games not just this weekend, but the next weekend and the weekend after. And let me tell you, our families are excited about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we make do. We make do. Look, it could be a lot worse. We're, we're talking hockey, for goodness sake. We are. It's just you have to We'll be back in this format Monday to recap yes. the weekend. Noon to one. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. And we appreciate everybody who listened to the show this week. We will... Be with you on Monday, as my partner said. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. We'll continue to uh, get those questions on the air when we can. Partner, great job by you, and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow. Dave Mishkin right there. Thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks to you for listening. I am Greg Lanelli. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Radio.